0: Welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Richard Cox is with me. He's the host of the podcast Deep State Consciousness and the author of a brand new book called Contemplating Conspiracy. Hey, Richard, welcome. How are you?
1: Great. Thank you very much for having me on. Tell us, first of all, before we get rolling about the podcast, how can we listen? Well, everything I do can be found at deepstateconsciousness.com. If you're searching for the podcast, it's the Deep State Consciousness podcast. And do you want to know about the what kind of content appears on it? Yeah. Tell us about uh, the, the subject matter. Yeah. It sort of rolled from one thing to the other. It started off, I just had some interesting friends and I thought, you know, someone should really interview these people and I guess it's going to be me. So I interviewed my friends until I ran out of them. And that was kind of, um, I have a background in spirituality, so it was kind of psycho-spiritual topics. A lot of them were therapists or just had interesting experiences in other ways. And then I've always had a bit of a, a geopolitical interest running in parallel to my spiritual pursuits. So I then, I then made a new friend who was a, a real serious investigator of 9-11. And I thought, oh, great, great, great. This is my opportunity. I've always wanted to delve more into that. So then it became a sort of spirituality and geopolitical podcast. And it's just rolled on from there. So currently I'm doing uh, investigating, sort of taking a, a philosophical investigation of themes like conspiracy theory and spirituality. And I'm doing a, an historical um, series at the moment on the, the origins of... Um, empire really within the 20th century and how we've ended up in this strange world where apparently 10 years from now we're going to own nothing and be happy where does that come from going back to like the 1890s and the anglo-american establishment carol quickly and all that kind of thing so that that's my sort of just whatever i'm interested in i hope other people you know tag along and like it too so tell me about your introduction to david ike okay so i was a, a young and naive 18 year old just out of school strolling through the bookshop and um I was in the kind of spirituality section for the first time because I'd just become kind of open to the possibility there was something more going on with with life than the mundane, and that led me to seeing David Icke's book on the shelf, The Biggest Secret, and wow, I've, this is like a conspiracy book. I've never really encountered conspiracies, and I'm up for a few new experiences. So initially, to me, it just seemed like a, an interesting and fun intellectual exercise, like could you build a, a model an explanation of the world that was totally radically different to conventional and the accepted history and would that stand up in any way or would it completely fall down and i assumed it would completely fall down because right these these people at universities they're paid to do something right so they must have it about right so they're not, not going to have missed like a secret society called the babylonian brotherhood that's been operating for thousands of years and i'm not sure they have but it as I, I, after I bought it and read it, it went from being an interesting exercise to being troubling, right? Because these outrageous claims like the CIA traffics drugs and uh, the fluoride in the water is not maybe very good for you. And the U S is a bit of an empire and it has uh, interventions going on all over the world. And something called the MK Auto program, all these things that sounded nuts. When I did the poking around you caught on the internet back then, I found actually, you know, a lot of this stuff is true. Like, and, and that was probably all very conventional stuff to your audience, Richard. But to me as an 18-year-old, what I knew of the CIA was what you see on like the the, the cop dramas or something, right? They're, they protect the world from terrorists. Don't they want the drugs trafficking? Come on. So really blew my mind. Right. And much
0: of what David Icke writes about is, um, you know, it's fairly prosaic in the sense that, well, yeah, I think we, we all sort of now take it much of what he, he writes for granted in the sense that the cia is you know like these these guns for hire that are working for not the security of the american citizen but for corporate interests and and to establish american hegemony and so forth but then when he veers off into the whole shape-shifting aspect that the royal family are shape-shifting reptilians and george w bush is a shape-shifting reptilian um i mean how do you feel about David
1: Icke now well I'm actually doing a series at the moment one one of the things I'm investigating is I'm doing a series called reading David Icke where I'm going back to his very earliest books reading it and trying to step into his shoes if you like because the first David Icke was actually famous in Britain prior to becoming a conspiracy theorist he might have been more famous because he was a a big sports presenter and so he, he when he had his spiritual and then conspiratorial awakening he did it in a very public way and he went on national tv and started talking about how there were going to be all these earth changes. New Zealand was going to fall into the sea sometime in the um, in the nineties. And I don't know if that was prophesizing Jacinda Ahern, but it, it didn't. It's still on the map anyway. <laughs> and yeah, um, <laughs> and um, there was going to be all sort of cultural revolution in Britain and um, all sorts of things that basically did not happen. And he was presenting himself kind of as the, the second coming of the Messiah, right? Like he was a specially chosen one who had this message to, for humanity. And um Mike, Vick, well how, how did he do that for a start? And then how did he go on from there to become this big conspiracy theorist who believed in, in reptilians? So I'm doing the series to kind of um assess that. And yeah, the, the reptilian thing just I had no idea what to make of that because it's obviously it's just completely far out when I'm reading it, but it's it's onside alongside all these other facts, which were certainly unknown to me at the time. So my first observation of David Icke is he he was a goalkeeper as a football player, and he observes that the goalkeeper is someone you have to make decisions and you just go for it. When you've decided the ball's going in the top right, you dive to the top right and right or wrong. If you're right, you're a hero. If you're wrong, you're a villain. And there's something about Ike's mentality that he's like that. So he got involved in spiritualism and then he got these messages back as people do with spiritualism. The the, the medium was able to tell him about the newspaper he had in his uh, briefcase. She was able to tell him some helpful advice on the cat he had that had a stomach complaint. And uh, another one predicted his father's death just exactly accurately, so he's shocked by this. Now, most of us might cautiously step into this world. David, like, goes on TV and starts repeating the end of world prophecies the spirits have given him because he just he goes for it every time. And with his conspiracy writing, uh, when he saw the world quite accurately, was a big con and a conspiracy and a criminal enterprise. He really went for it with going back in time to the the Rothschilds in the 18th century and back to the ancient Egyptians, the Babylonians. So I think he has this kind of psychology where he leaps in. And I'm currently producing the episodes where I'm trying to explain, and this might be a challenge that exceeds me, but I'm trying to explain how did he really come to see the reptilian thing? Because it's a big challenge. Right. Right, go ahead.
0: No, I I was just wondering, have you seen what my favorite movie uh, is, Network?, and uh the the peter finch character howard beale you know this the mad prophet of the airwaves who has this emotional breakdown and when he emerges uh from it he much like uh david ike i mean he he just can't he can't help himself he can't stop he, he he goes on national television and starts spouting these seemingly incredible you know claims and and uh uh you know i'm mad as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore and of course the networks uh latch onto that and totally uh exploit him and his frail mental condition for for profit i don't know if you've seen that movie but do, uh, and if you have do you see any parallels between howard beale and david ike
1: i haven't seen it i think that there are absolutely parallels. david ike is certainly um I mean, I think there's a general acknowledgement later that the way he was treated was very badly because people, I mean, Terry Wogan, the host of the the TV show, uh, apologized to him later. David Icke said, look, I was having a very difficult time trying to integrate this whole new aspect of life that had come up. And uh, Terry Wogan recognized he was sort of laughing at someone who was having a kind of mental health crisis. um, And I thought, bad about that. But certainly, David Icke gets brought on TV in Britain from time to time um, in the role that... Fox News and CNN will bring um certain american pundits on who have rather extreme ideas about conspiracy okay like the the planes being holograms going into the building Morgan now, right. I would so without taking a position on that like what we can all agree on i think is that there are far more centrist positions on 9-11 and far more grounded stuff about the cia uh, assisting the terrorists and preventing them from arrest of the fbi people who talk about that stuff never go on mainstream media it's always the, the kind of fringe element okay and david ike is brought on and what that does in the public consciousness is associates any kind of uh, conspiracy thinking uh, with shape-shifting reptilians so it's, it's certainly used in that sense right he's the straw man hmm. uh,
0: but you say that in the book david Icke's work was a sledgehammer
1: that cracked
0: cracked open the nut of your condition worldview. Explain.
1: Well, okay, so now I'm going to sort of contradict what I just said, because what, what I thought about with conspiracies, there's no one way to look at it. Depending on how you position it, on the perspective you take, it appears as different things. So on the one hand, David Icke, and you could say maybe the Alex Joneses of this world, they're a destructive force because they're used to uh, rubbish very legitimate inquiries into government malfeasance, okay? But- I have thought about this since, though, because I've kind of, in my geopolitical reading, transitioned away from David Icke and got into, you know, journalists like maybe John Pilger or Peter Dale Scott, who write these very erudite works on the the nature of a criminal conspiracy, really, uh, but certainly don't talk about shape-shifting reptilians. But what I thought was, well, could I have started there, right? Because it's not just a case of accumulating new facts. I, I was really indoctrinated. I was super loaded up on blue pills. Okay, I was in the matrix. And to get yourself out of the matrix, you can't really be talked out of it. You've got to take a red pill. You've got to do something which completely shatters your sense of reality. And maybe that needs to be something that's mythical in some way. It needs to be something that's like shape-shifting reptilians. It needs to be someone who tells you the world is flat. It needs to be someone who just messes up your mind for a while to break any sense of conventional bonds. And then you can step out and see the world anew, and it's not that the red pill necessarily gives you the truth, but it gives you a different world to compare and contrast with. So, I, I started to wonder, like, what's the role of something like mythology? I'm not saying myth- mythology is the only way you can look at David Icke's work, and maybe there are interdimensional beings that are interfering with life on Earth. I'm very open to that. Um, I don't necessarily think they shapeshift into the Queen Mum, but um, <laughs> you, I, I like—I I just don't think that's plausible. But um, like. So myth- mythically is not the only way you could look at it, but maybe we have to consider that conspiracy has a kind of like mythical role in the way you would have like an initiation into one of the mystery schools of the ancient world. You're given a, a mythical story and then the, the inner spiritual meaning of that story opens up over time. Right,
0: right. Um, you, you're right here. David Icke is a kind of magician. He breaks one spell by casting another. I think that's a, a very apt description. Richard Cox is uh, with us. The book is Contemplating Conspiracy Excursions into Undiluted Madness. How do we get a copy,
1: Richard? It's um on the website, deepstateconsciousness.com. Um, there is a, a download from it's linked to Amazon, and you can also download it. if people don't like Amazon. I've um I'm selling off a site called PayHip. Uh, so it's available there. There's also an auditory, an audio version available. And that's just on my podcast. That, that's like free. So what? what it started out as a podcast series. And then people told me they preferred reading it. So I I added a bit to it and I added a, a concluding chapter and everything. So there's a bit more to the book. But the, the bones of it are available um, on my podcast stream. So all all available on the website, deepstateconsciousness.com.
0: Tell me about the, uh, I guess it was this was about 10 years ago. You attended uh, a conference. It was... The uh, British Humanist Association, mm. and uh, you met this. You described him as this completely normal person with a, a completely conventional mindset. Until, of course, the day he saw the uh, the video footage of Building Seven seemingly falling down within its own own footprint. Uh, that's controlled demolition. He shouted to himself again and again and again. Mm. Uh, talk to me about that
1: uh, that particular individual? Yeah, well, first of all, I'll just mention the conference because the humanists bit off a bit more than they really wanted to chew there. They they wanted to have a kind of self-congratulatory conference about how a bunch of speakers to confirm, reflect back to them their own opinions, really. I, mean, I don't want to be cynical about them, but I am being. Um, the conspiracy theories are all bunk, and you can go like, Noam Chomsky is an acceptable figure, but no further than that. that that's what they wanted to hear. And a bunch of people interested in conspiracy caught on this was taking place and and probably saw it as kind of a conspiracy and there's a little bit of an online war broke out. And the humanists, in fairness to them, um, said, okay, okay, we'll include one of your guys. Who, who do you want? And the, the prominent uh, British conspiracy theorist, Ian R. Crane, uh, came along. Under the guy, the, the idea was he would explain why he is not a, a rabid crazy conspiracist, but rather a sensible geopolitical analyst. So it's one of the few times I've been in a room where you really had a 50-50 split between the, the hundreds of people in the audience. So that, that was fascinating in itself. And yeah, that the fellow I was next to in the sandwich queue um described exactly as you said, that he, he was completely normal, conventional views, and then he saw Building Seven um collapse and and had it explained as look. This is a controlled demolition. Just look at a controlled demolition. Look at this. It's a controlled demolition. And his world just shattered. His world shattered. It, um, and he was then left to rebuild uh, a new one out of the out of the ruins of that fallen tower. And I again, see a kind of mythical thing in this, right? Because I think I, I based the chapter around this, the, the third card. Um, sorry, no, it's the third chapter. the uh, it, the card. Yeah. 16th card, thank you very much, Off the tarot deck is the tower. And it's, uh, the tower is struck of lightning and it falls off. And it's, it's sort of symbolic of the ideas, the structures, the mental patterns we build up that then come crashing down when out of nowhere, a bolt of lightning from the realm of the gods um, strikes it. So yeah, it just, it, again, to me, interesting that we have these initiatory moments of just there's something that just tips us over the edge. And I think probably if you were to do a poll, probably most people... Uh, we're well, probably building 7 is going to come out on top for the past 20 years in that because it's just such a visually confronting incident. Right, and you make a, a a brilliant
0: point here and and you you say that okay, so it's it's possible that it was controlled demolition, that possibility exists. Uh, but at some future point, this person you met in the sandwich queue may come around to thinking entirely differently about Building 7. Maybe it was, in fact, down brought down by office fires after all. And then you write that major aspects of his new world view might still remain absent the catalyzing event which allowed them to form. So Building 7, which served as the catalyst to change his entire perception of the world, that may change background again to, you know, the the official narrative, uh, but yet what remains
1: is the changed worldview. What I was observing there was certain parallels from hanging out in spirituality groups and hanging out in conspiracy groups. I noticed that you'll meet people in spirituality groups and they might be into Advaita Vedanta or Zen Buddhism, you know, something that maybe is considered like a little bit uh, arduous or a little bit erudite or um uh, and when you get talking to them, they'll, they'll talk about their time in that. And so it's like, how did you um how did you get into this whole thing to begin with then? And the number of people I've met who go a little bit red-faced at that point, try and try and hide beneath their collar. And they'll they'll tell you something about, oh, like I was into channeling Merlin from the Astral plane for a couple of years. And they have some story that they're a little bit embarrassed by now. And the thing that got them into it is not what we ended up doing at all. And I notice this with uh, people who are, you know, consider themselves to be serious geopolitical researchers. Um, when you ask them, they'll often get a little embarrassed and say, "Oh, yeah, I, I believe that the, the planes on 9-11 were holograms, or the towers were brought down by space lasers based on the moon, or something." And and they don't want to talk about it really. There's a little bit embarrassing. But um, now, Building Seven might not be sort of in that league, right? Like, because that's entirely. Um, valid questions to have about how that building came down, and I've, I've put them to some of the, the architects and engineers involved in that and had you know very fruitful conversations that have really educated me on it. Um, but it's just interesting to notice that there are all these initiatory moments, and often the one catalyzing event, I think we can cling to that very strongly when we first get into things because it's it appears to take on massive importance. And so I noticed this in my own studies of 9-11, that in some ways it feels like it doesn't really matter now uh, if there were bombs in the building or not, because my, and that, that can, I can preach that can sound kind of crazy to people because obviously it really matters, but there's, it's so demonstrably, the whole day was a, a complete crime. And that day sits in the context of a wider U S empire, which is like a hundred, 150 year crime, That these little incidents um, specific to one day don't have this grandiose kind of importance. So I, I notice people make that kind of journey as they go through. Right. You're right. It's the effect we would expect conspiracy theories
0: to have. What's interesting then, you write, is when they do the exact opposite, when conspiracy theories are employed to reinforce consensus reality, to prop up
1: the tower. Uh give us an example. Yeah, well that that's kind of what I was talking about earlier with David Like coming on the BBC, or you see um Fox had a chap called Morgan Reynolds on, who was a real believer in the the holographic planes theory. Okay. So what Fox is doing there is is getting its audience, Fox's audience, have heard about 9-11 conspiracy theories, and it's something Fox obviously feel they need to address. So they'll get someone on, and basically they can... You know, um, oh, what sort of obnoxious guy? Sean Hannity. His um, basic messages, you see, we've checked in America, and there's nothing in it. It's just crazy, guys. You can all go back to sleep now. It's exactly as the Bush regime told you it was. And so, yeah, that just... It, it's... Again, another example of there's no one way you can look at a conspiracy. It, whatever way you look at it, there is also the opposite of that. So it's, it breaks down and shatters people's sense of reality, but it's also used to enforce that reality, to enforce the consensus vision. Right,
0: I'm, I'm bringing it back to David Icke for a moment. Mm. And you, you talk about this in chapter four, contemplating conspiracy. And uh, you kind of riff on one of the chapters in um, Ike's book, The Biggest Secret, which is Don't Mention the Reptiles. Mm. And the chapter is called Do Mention the Reptiles. Um, and you you have this rather interesting uh, thought exercise. And that is, imagine David Ike's, if every one of David Ike's books uh, being prefaced with uh, the following... Uh, or or the um in, in the front of each of his books it says the following is in its entirety a work of fiction and how that would change our perception of, of uh of what david ike was talking about can you, can you unpack
1: that a little bit for us well i just thought it was very strange when i would talk to friends who would say oh david i can't stand david Icke. he's mad he, he talks a the of nonsense and but they would love, like Philip K. Dick, okay, and think Philip K. Dick's a genius, a brilliant fictional writer. He, he uh, wrote *The Man in the High Castle* and uh, uh, *Valis* and these wonderful um, science fiction works. I'm just too, I'm choosing Dick as an example because I used him um, in, in the book. And I thought, well, hang about, you you love fiction, but you hate David Icke. What if David Icke just put one sentence in? Would that would that then mean he was some kind of like literary genius? Then you might not like his writing, but I, I think it's pretty good i think like what david icke has created is this gnostic mythos of these dark spiritual forces going back to the beginnings of the universe that come through atlantis and then the ancient world right up to the present day through the knight's templar and all you know i think it's amazing as a if you constructed that as fiction it would be just incredible um so isn't it weird that one sentence one little sentence in a book of like 500 600 pages can can flip something from a work of genius to a work of madness. And that just struck me as like, there's something wrong, in fact, like you've got to maybe think about this a bit differently. And my follow-on to that was, well, how does it, how does it change how we view a piece of art and the, the piece of literature, whether we think it's like, quote, unquote, real or not, whether, whether the artist presents it as representing reality or being nice and safe and talked up in a, a fictional world. And I chose Philip K. Dick, to contrast it to because he kind of blurred that line a little by um saying that this uh, fascist dystopia he wrote about um as the united states after it lost the second world war um wasn't just coming from his imagination he'd kind of slipped into an alternative reality where, he, where he'd seen that and it makes it a little bit edgy like oh did this really happen Could this really happened and david Icke is taking his mythical world and is going splat in this world and and I'm just observing it has a very different effect on on the reader and in some ways um a more transformational effect I might suggest
0: fascinating right um you also have an interesting uh thought exercise and that is you know David Icke contends that George W Bush is in fact a reptilian shapeshifter so you have sort of three Three possibilities there. You know, you want to to walk us through each of those as to whether Bush might be a shapeshifter. Just just to clarify,
1: in the case there are any like real students of David Icke in your audience, I'm not entirely sure whether George W. Bush qualifies as a flow bone reptilian or he's somewhere below that on the pecking order. So I do ask for a bit of leeway in like this is an example, right? But it, it it works as an example. So, um, so I say, yeah, okay. Well, one way you could answer that question is just to say like is George W. Bush a Shaping Reptilian? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, I believe David. I, David, I got it right. He is. And another way you can answer it is to say no. No, of course not. It's just ridiculous. It's just pure fantasy. Crazy town. And, but there is a third way. Uh, this is kind of like a little bit of economics thinking. Um, so I'm quite interested in the Austrian school of economics and, uh, and the way that economists have this different way of asking questions about the world. So one way, well, you can answer it by saying, well, as compared to what? <laughs> is is he a shape-shifting reptilian as compared to what as compared to what like the conventional view upon uh, amongst his Republican supporting base was and I I quote Arnie then the uh, Terminator ex governor of California um leading this this cultic chanting session at a rally for Bush where. He he would say to this audience things like, who is keeping you safe from terror? George W. Bush. And who is going to educate your children? George W. Bush. And who is going to make the economy boom? George W. Bush. And, and if, when I listened to that clip a few times, it suddenly hit me like, oh, this is a cult. <laughs> right? This is like, th- th- these people are in a cult where they think this, this pretend cowboy um, who moved from New York to Texas to present himself that way and is basically... Spend his whole life ripping off the public purse while making platitudes to free market economics, is somehow going to care to educate their children or he's going to keep them safe from terrorists. A man called George, who lives on a pretend cowboy ranch in Texas. What, what on earth are they talking about? So, my thing is, well, maybe David Icke uh, is wrong and he's not a shape shifting reptilian, but David Icke, maybe he's mad right? But he's not as mad as those people. They're crazy, right? And <laughs> like to say George Bush is a shape-shifting reptilian is in many ways more accurate than what those people think. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's,
0: it's, uh, it's a very useful metaphor. I mean, he may not have intended it as a, as a metaphor.
1: Exactly, exactly. No, he didn't. But it conveys something, right? Because at the time that chanting is going on, Bush's launch, this war of aggression in Iraq, which, and I do a quotation about that, just the devastation it brought to that country, the the um, from the direct bombing itself to the destruction of the water supplies, to the depleted uranium, the, the cancers in the country that result from that, the, the sanctions that stop them getting medical supplies, and then the breakdown into terror. And you, you can't, so what is it that people can't wrap their heads around? This guy's clearly a psychopath. He's clearly a psychopath. You can't do that. No, you know you kill tens of thousands of men, women and children hundreds of thousands and uh, as a result of the war and that's just not the way a, a normal person's moral architecture works so with the metaphor of reptilian it's accurate on the psychological level right there's something actually reptilian about George W Bush's psychology and the way snakes are used as metaphors for psychopathy so in that sense, it's, it, it's more accurate. It might not be physically accurate. He might not close his bedroom door and um, shapeshift with Laura into reptilian form. But on the inner level, it's more accurate.
0: I call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60 for my good friends at C60Evo.com and I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains, zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle, C60, from c60evo.com slash richard hyphen c60evo.com slash richard hyphen Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. The truth will set you free. free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Richard Cox is with us. The book is Contemplating Conspiracy. And uh, the podcast is Deep State Consciousness. And you can access uh, both the book and the podcast. Go to deepstateconsciousness.com. Deepstateconsciousness.com. Let's talk about the word conspiracy. It's so radioactive uh, these days. Um, what do you, what do you see as, uh, the main problem with that word that, that, that many people seem to have? Why do they, why are they afraid of
1: that word? It's a mental, emotional trigger, isn't it? And something I've been thinking about recently, um, Richard, we've heard a lot about the saying that people don't want liberty. They want safety. Have you heard that, you know, being oh, said? i am from yeah.
0: That's, yeah, (laughs) Right. we pray to the, you know, it's safety first and uh, we spell freedom, uh, D-U-M-B, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. well, so I wonder about this, right? Because say people want safety, but is taking certain experimental medical procedures really safety? Is locking down a country so the economy goes bust really long-term safety? And so what what I wonder is, do people really want safety? They certainly don't want freedom, but is it really safety or is it conformity people want? I think what people want to do is conform. And maybe that's a deeper kind of quest for safety because they feel kind of safe in conformity. Maybe that harks back to our caveman ancestry. I don't know. But that's what I think people want. I think people don't want to feel the shame of being ridiculed and outside of the group. And the term conspiracy theory, conspiracy theorist does that. It's a way of labeling someone and saying you're Mentally defective in some way, you are not capable of seeing how s- structures rule the world. Really, the, there are these invisible structures that everyone fits into, and and that determines political outcomes. And no one could really get away of conspiracy, and you just don't understand how complex things are, and and how impossible that would be to to pull off. So you're you're kind of a dumb guy for thinking that. It's a way of like, it, and people want to avoid the kind of shaming that comes of being associated with a, a simple-minded conspiracy theorist. You can only see complex events arising out of intentional action
0: when you look at the the way the world is um, i mean to me a conspiracy that's simply the way the world operates and and whether as you point out in your book whether there is you know whether there are the same people behind all of these actions and whether it's coordinated to that extent uh, or 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 simply just the part of human nature, the lust for power, the lust for uh, the pursuit of, you know, hegemony, uh, the building of empires and so forth that 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 requires conspiracy because you can't, you know, one person isn't going to get the, the job done, you have to coordinate and, and then by definition, that's a conspiracy. And you uh, you list uh, in the book, number of examples uh for example in the united states and their pursuit of empire and the overthrow of democratically elected regimes in country after country after country just talk to me a little bit about that
1: yeah i put that chapter into contrast with the rest of the book really because throughout the book i'm being very philosophical about the nature of power structures the nature of conspiracy and in one chapter i just wanted to go like well hang on a minute like this is a great conversation i enjoy having these conversations and at a deeper level, I don't know who's pulling the strings of the world. I don't know if anyone's pulling it. Maybe it's ultimately a runaway train. Maybe David Rockefeller wasn't at the helm when he was alive. And we could, I don't know how far you feel you've gotten in this investigation, um, Richard, but I do all the kind of historical um, podcasting where I do try and get into it as deeply as I can go. And I'm currently just looking at the, the Anglo-American establishment, the, the whole Cecil Rhodes Secret Society, and did it really as, as um, you know, the people like G. Edward Griffin believes, did it really take over the world? Or I'm a little cynical of that. I suspect maybe uh, power structures are more polycentric, but I don't know. But on another level, chuck all that out the window, right? There's no discussion that we're living in a giant conspiracy. That's a given, right? That, that's like, that conversation has been had. And if you don't know that, then you just have to learn it. There's no discussion to be had. And it's, it's not a hidden thing. It's right out in the open. I make the point in the book, Look, all you need to do to find out about this is go to Wikipedia, type in the name of any Latin American country. You could do it with other countries around the world, but Latin America, it's an absolute guarantee. And at some point in the 20th century history, you will see the US, the CIA intervention to overthrow the attempted socialist democratic government that was coming into power and replace it with a brutal dictatorship. And I just chain through examples of that to make it completely unambiguous that we can have these conversations about the deeper level of things. But those conversations have to take place from a position that, of course, the world is a conspiracy. It's a criminal conspiracy. That, that's just how it's always operated. And we don't live in some post-historical fairy tale. We are in history. History is just going on. Right, right. You
0: give some other... Um, give us a bit of a history lesson for those not familiar with what happened with the Marshall Islands,
1: for example. Yeah, the nuclear testing. Um, yeah, that's right there. So in the um, after the Second World War um the the island where the most famous uh, bikini island because of the uh, obviously bikini tops was named uh, after this paradise island in the uh pacific and it's where the um the u.s navy uh was testing the it could be the air force sorry it was testing the the nuclear weapons there and they essentially ran um radiation experiments on the people by leaving them in the the fallout area and then coming back year after year telling them they were giving them treatments to help them with their sickness and all they were really doing was testing to see how long it took people to die um from the the radiation poisoning so they, that's um that yeah that, that'll be one example of uh, the empire at work right um you also talk about the school of the americas hmm yeah the um that's uh, a program set up basically to keep latin america well central america in line um so I run through um, various incidents in, like various coups that take place. So the 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 problem, like first post war um, Latin American coup was in Guatemala in '55, where uh, a left leaning president Jacobo Arbenz uh, was overthrown because he principally because he fell out with the banana company, uh, United Fruit, because United Fruit held all the land in Guatemala and they didn't use a lot of it. They just held it because then no one else could use it, and all the uh, the peasants would have to work on their banana plantation. So it's essentially you could look at it as moving the slave trade south of the border. So you have this imprisoned population uh, where the, the government does dirty deals with corporations to give them all the land and then they they have to work on it. Um, so when Arbenz tried to um, retake the land, the CIA went in and overthrew him, And that set off um, Brook Castillo-Armes uh, Armes into power. And that set off decades of violence in, in Guatemala then, the hundreds of thousands dead. And the, the School of the Americas has been really a way of training up forces that could hold the military dictatorships uh in power in South and Central America uh, and run the place so you wouldn't have necessarily even get directly involved in coups anymore uh, so the, the coup in uh, Honduras in two thousand and ten i don't know there's evidence of a direct American involvement per se but well uh, a lot of the soldiers involved in that were graduates of the school of the Americas so problems then kind of take care of themselves right right uh, yeah they train death squads mm. you uh,
0: you also make a, a, a very Insightful observation, and that is that um, the Central American countries, to a certain extent, the, the countries in South America, really mirrored the satellite nations of Earth, Eastern Europe during the, the, the Cold War. And we tend to look at the the Soviet era and and the way that people in East Germany or Poland or Bulgaria were treated as you know absolute, being absolutely brutal and and, and mm. horrific. Uh, but are the are the the satellite countries of the United States, were they treated any differently?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's the essential point. I think you have to look certainly at Central America and Latin America too, maybe other places in the world, but certainly there as being satellites, the way we, of course, look at the Eastern Bloc as satellites of the USSR. And when you do that, you see that the United States human rights record, which, you know, I think it's fair to say... Um, is better if you look just at the the fifty states. Far from perfect, but better. But if you if you include what are really satellite countries, then no, it's not. It's not because of the um, the sponsoring of death squads south of the border. I think even people that um
0: they they might. Uh consider some of the 911 uh, theories about you know what really happened that day as being a little bit out there would con- you know make the would concede to the points that you've been making now about America's pursuit of empire and so forth maybe we just need to change maybe we need a new word maybe conspiracy isn't the right word maybe it's a, a friend of mine who used to study under Marshall McLuhan uses the phrase state secrets he doesn't use the word conspiracy what do you think mm.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I started using deep state, actually. And it was before the Trump era made the, you know, when Sean Hannity started using the term deep state, I said, oh gosh, the game's all. I've got the website URL now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but um, no, it, for me, it, it worked on two levels. So um, look, being involved in spirituality, I think there was an emphasis in some of the Eastern spirituality on, maybe it was, uh, I found it, intellectually restrictive and there's this idea that the you attain enlightenment, okay, you get the idea that this is all one consciousness and that's it, that's the end of the road there. And I wanted to have some sort of more liberty there to look into the depths of consciousness and not necessarily come to be restricted on, on like a train on a track, it's only going to one conclusion. So actually conscious is like, it's a deep state, right? It's something very deep and mysterious and we shouldn't rush to label it and define it, and constrain it. And in the same way with conspiracy then, Conspiracy theory implies like very monocentric power structure. Okay, it doesn't have to be that way, but I think a classical conspiracy implies that there's a group there's the Illuminati, there's the, the New World Order, the uh, the Rhodes Roundtable societies, people who are ultimately pulling the strings. And I wanted, well, my thing is, well, I don't know if I don't know at all if you can reduce it to, to one group like that, but what I can say is that if you go beneath the surface, it's very, very deep in contrast to what the mainstream media tells you. There's this, you know, you've got your political candidates um stood up there on stage saying why you should vote for them. And if you go beneath the surface, they've got their corporate sponsors, they've got their um their think tanks behind them, they've got the um the, the support from foreign nations going on. So the, there's a depth to that which isn't seen on the surface. And that, that's what I, I wanted to do with the term deep state. So, but at the same time, I do defy I like def- I'm defensive over the term conspiracy. I don't be mind being labeled a, a conspiracy theorist because the world is a conspiracy and that's just that's just demonstrable
0: right and and the the i don't know if frustrating is the right word but the the mainstream media and those that sort of uh, proffer the uh the official narrative uh, of any given historical event they have their conspiracy theories as well i mean the the uh their theory is that Bin Laden orchestrated the 9-11 terrorist attacks on, a, I guess, on a satellite phone in a cave in Afghanistan. Uh, so they believe in conspiracies, but they're usually perpetrated by, you know, those beige people over there.
1: Yeah, well, even not just terrorists like Bin Laden, but nation states, right? So it's completely acceptable in Western dialogue to say Putin was behind the apartment bombings in Russia around the year 2000. Completely acceptable. And there's evidence for it. You know, the FSB were caught. With their fingers on bags of bombs in a building that didn't go off. So yeah, I'm, I'm very open to that possibility. But nobody finds that strange. You say, that, oh yeah, the Russians would do that. Yeah, the FSB and Putin, he's ex-KGB. But the same people would think it's crazy, outrageous to think that the US government would ever do anything to hurt its citizens with false flag terror. So there's a complete double standard. And you can see that manifesting with the Ukraine war. There's this I suppose we all project our shadow. We all project our sense of evil in different ways, in different directions. And maybe in some ways I'm more inclined to project it onto uh, like the, the world that I'm sort of a part of, right? Like the, the Western NATO Alliance kind of world. But for a lot of people, that projection goes, it's very easy for them to project it out East. And currently Russia is the big bad guy. In 10, 10, years, it'll be someone else, but that's, yeah.
0: You, um. You point out some very interesting parallels between conspiracies or the conspiratorial and spirituality. Do you want to walk mm. us through that?
1: Yeah, just like the, the parallels left out at me. So I think the first time it really hit me was I, I was listening to Alex Jones talk about how he helped people awaken. And I thought, Oh, that's funny. "Awaken" is a word that I would associate with spirituality and the idea of waking up that you are not this, individual rather shoddy person you take yourself to be but you're the the dreaming mind the consciousness in which the universe is arising but alex jones is using it in a very opposite way to that he's he's talking in a way of waking up from the reality the tv pumps into your brain to the deep dark world that is the the great conspiracy that's going on and the parallels also like um Spirituality may contain an idea of like angelic beings or or the realms that are full of beings of light who are going to help you in your your evolutionary journey, whereas conspiracy mirrors that, right? It has these demons or reptilians from the lower fourth dimension who are there to uh, to suppress you and and keep you down. So I just yeah notice these strange um, parallels the idea a telos too right the world is going somewhere so in spirituality circles people often feel that we're about to go through some great awakening and move into a place of heaven on earth whereas in conspiracy theory people think that the new world order is always just around the corner and at any moment the cell doors are going to slam down and we're going to all uh, own nothing and be happy so it's just it, it appeared to me like a lot of conspiratorial concepts reflect spirituality in like a dark mirror fascinating why is this I don't know. Right? I can only speculate. I can only speculate as to, like, what that is about the structure of the world that we awaken to greater light within and greater darkness without. The world is is, is both better and worse. On an inner sense, if you go on this spiritual journey, you wake up from living in this material cave to maybe finding the world is this giant consciousness, conscious all loving mind. Right? So this the spiritual. And this is what. I, the idea I really first encountered in in David Icke's book. It's like twenty chapters of utter depression about how awful the world is, and then, but that doesn't matter because we're all swimming in an infinite ocean of love. <laughs> so that's amazing. You know, <laughs> so you wake up to this great wondrous light within, but then the world the world on the outside is is much darker. So it's very, but what I can say I don't know why it is, but it's it's historic, right? It's not a new thing. You go back to the Gnostics, and they're saying the same thing, like. There's demons out there, right? It's really dark and they're out to get you. They're out to keep you and suppress you and, and keep you away from this great light. Um, but the great light exists within. So it's like if you go into the what I could call conspirituality, where they both arise, the world stretches out to become both lighter and darker at once. Fascinating. Contemplating
0: Conspiracy. Richard Cox is the author and the host of the podcast Deep State Consciousness. Fascinating discussion, and thank you so much for this, Richard.
1: Thank you. Loved it. Thank you very much. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at StrangePlanetPodcast.com.